Greetings, everybody, and welcome to TW Now. Trade and the potential for trade war continues to dominate the headlines. Are battle lines being drawn between the United States, Europe, and China? Will trade war lead to a shooting war? And what insight can we gain from Bible prophecy on this volatile topic? We're glad to have you with us here today where we discuss this question and the answers to this question. Today with us on our program, I'm happy to welcome a couple of gentlemen who are regular guests on the program. Uh, first, Mr. Mike DeSimone, so glad to have you with us. Good to be here, thank you. And also, Dr. Scott Winnale, glad to have you with us as well. Glad to be here. Uh, those of you who are regular watchers for our, our program are familiar with both these gentlemen, so again, we're glad to have you, have you back in the studio. And again, I'll remind you that if you are interested in what we have to say in the discussion, a couple of things. First of all, go ahead and sign up for our, our regular emails to be notified when we have programs and information. Um, go ahead and like us and uh, that's helpful because then it, it just lets your friends know that uh, there's something worth watching that we have here to say on our program today. And also as we go along through the program, uh, feel free to chime in, ask a question or make a comment and uh, if we can we'll include it in the mix as we go, as we go forward. As we look at the, the daily headlines, we constantly see headlines about trade war. Trade war today, for example, in the Wall Street Journal, uh, there's an article entitled, Get Moving, How Trump Ratcheted Up the Trade Battle with China. And this is not uncommon to see words of, of violence in terms of, of trade. So our, our topic today is going to focus on trade, war, and also something that we read about in the Bible called the beast. And this sounds a, a very a scary, like, the, like a, a, a name, a word from a, a horror picture movie, but um, what, what does the beast in the Bible have to do with uh, trade and war? We're going to talk about this today. So, <clears throat> gentlemen, let's get right into the question. What is your assessment of the current situation? When we look at the news, see the, the, the headlines every day, what's your assessment of this, all this talk about trade war? Well, certainly it hasn't caused uh, to hasn't any caused any deepening of our friendship with our allies. It's caused a lot of problems. You think about the G7 uh, summit there. Um, uh, there was an article talking about you know the G6 plus the United States, uh, kind of going in there in an antagonistic way, and really it's it's ruffled the feathers with our uh, European neighbors and of course our Canadian neighbors, Mexican neighbors, and so forth. Yeah, this concept of, of trade has, has really seemed to <clears throat> isolate the United States even more from the mm -hmm. rest of the world, okay. where in, in the past you've had good relationships between the United States and certainly Mexico and Canada, but also the United States and many of the European nations, and, and, and trade actually, international trade, um, free trade in some cases, has been part of the glue that's helped hold these nations together and, and develop friendships. Yeah, we've, we've had treaties that now we're kind of looking back on and saying, hey, I, I don't know that we want to be a part of this anymore. You know, that that hurts trust too. So is, is America helping or hurting itself by the policies that President Trump is pushing? What would you say? Well, we I think if we look at the news and we, we look at the rhetoric that is coming out, here you've got um, Justin Trudeau up in Canada uh, really 
almost offended at some of the trade actions that are being proposed right now, basically saying, look, we have fought in wars together internationally, and now you're going to slap us with tariffs mm. when you purchase our steel? What's going on here? You've got other uh, leaders in Europe basically saying the same thing. Wait a second, we've been at the same table together. Mm. We've worked through all of these difficult situations, and what kind of a thank you is this that you're going to hit us with, with uh, trade tariffs? Is, is there any rationale, on, I mean, on, on our part, as as, uh, as a nation in taking some of these actions. I mean, and so, you know, let's say China, for example, we have a $375 billion trade deficit with them. Um, they, you know, they, a lot of that's in steel. I mean, there's, they produce, you know, 50% of the world's steel. Uh, they do it through state-run companies and subsidize that. So they've lowered the price of steel so much coming out of China, how can, how can we compete with that? Uh, they also have problems with you know, uh, theft of intellectual property. And so how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, this is one way uh, to deal with it, is put tariffs on things. And you know, really, you know, we're only putting uh, tariffs on $50 billion out of the 500 plus billion dollars that we do uh, trade with China on. Uh, so it's only on $50 billion right now. Uh, it could increase, you know, China is talking about uh, retaliating, that, that could increase uh, more. But, uh, you know, there, there are reasons. We've asked them to reduce it. Uh, by about two hundred billion dollars, but they've said no. We're That's not going to do deficit. that. Yeah, the, the deficit. They've asked. We've asked China to reduce the trade deficit by two hundred billion dollars. They've said no. We're not going to do that. Do you that. think it'll end well, though? Do you do you think that uh, the, the the posturing and even some of the the, the policies? By President Trump, do you think what is being done will end in a real a happy family atmosphere <laughs> between us and China and us and Europe? Well, is it uh, going to end well? Well, I think you've got to ask the question: What's the purpose for the actions that are being taken? Mm. There's two different ways to go about negotiations, and and one is to think about okay, what benefits us now, but what's going to benefit a relationship in the long run? Mm -hmm. Another way to go about negotiations is to say, okay, what benefits me now? And what's, what's the bottom line now? And if you go into negotiations without that long-term perspective on how is your relationship and my relationship going to be down the line, if it's just a, a short-term perspective, you're liable to do anything uh, without thought of the consequences. What, what do you see? I'm sorry, go ahead, Mike. Uh, just that, uh, you, you know, Will it help long term? You know, it is a real quandary that we're in, and it is a real problem. Um, it has hurt the relationships with the nations already in a short period of time that we've been talking about this in a serious way, and that we have put, you know, started some of those kind of a first wave of sanctions, um, not sanctions, but uh, tariffs. You know, it hasn't helped anything. It hurts, and you, you've got to wrestle with that. How do you, how do you take care of the, your own economy? and deal with that and and still maintain these friendships now that you've got yourself into this hole because it's a, it's a real problem and there's going to be pain on one side or the other it's going to be painful i wanted to mention just <coughs> real quickly uh, the trade deficit that mr desimone's talking about this 300 plus million dollar trade billion, deficit yeah. billion per year I th to put that in context with world economies the entire economy of the caribbean region in in the world right now is under a hundred billion dollars a year for all of the nations in that region yet this is a 375 
billion dollar trade deficit annually just for this country. Our trade deficit is larger than the total economies right. of most nations in the world. Yeah, so and it, it, that's it just sizable. with China. That is just that's with right. China, and it's more than that for the. So, so long term, you're talking about the long, the long term effect. Right. Um, do you see, ten years down the line, us having the same relationship with, let's say, even 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 Europe, mm -hmm. that we have traditionally had, or will some of the things that we're doing here, now, today, this year, next year, uh, change that relationship more than just on the surface, but but fundamentally, what 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 do you gentlemen think? Uh, yes, I think so. Uh, Mr. Deesmill mentioned a couple minutes ago about this whole concept of trust. And I was reading an article the other day that actually brought that out, where basically how can you, how can you make promises, go back on your promises, uh, waffle a bit on your promises, or at least that's what the people at the other side of the table see, and then them trust you as you go forward. Relationships, long-term relationships, have to be built on trust. Yet, if the person that you're negotiating with sees that you're in this for yourself, and certainly the media makes it out to be that way, um, how, how do you maintain the trust for the long-term relationships? It's going to be very difficult. Do you think that Europe feels that way about, about the United States now? Do you think that... <laughs> sure, think beginning feel to feel that way for sure. Mm -hmm. And seeing this, and, and there's been other uh, problems as well mm -hmm. that have come up. Um, but but they, they've, you know, we're taking away from them. We're going to hurt their economy by these, you know, uh, tariffs on steel and aluminum. So you think they, they're... They view feel us, that, they view us differently. Uh, our, will our relationship be fundamentally different 10 years down the line, would you say? I, I think it's different now, but mm -hmm. yes. If we look at just what's happened in, in recent months, or recent weeks, mm -hmm. so the U.S. has pulled out of the Iran uh, nuclear deal. Yeah, that, that's And as a result of that, mm -hmm. what we're telling the Europeans, or what we've been saying at least, is if you're still trading with Iran, according to the deal that we were part of and that you're still part of, but if you're trading with Iran, we're going to hit you with, with tariffs and we're going to hit you with um, financial penalties because you're trading with this country that we don't want you trading with anymore. Mm -hmm. How does that come across? It comes across as pretty unilateral. Right. And that's not a way to win friends and influence Protectionist people. is what it's been called. But, you know, but does it matter? Do we, do, we need, do we need Europe? Do we need China? I mean, does it does it matter, or, or should we even should we even care if they're we're not on their good side anymore? I mean, that seems to be what President Trump is basically saying: is look, what's best for us is our concern, not what's best for uh, for others. I mean, isn't Europe as uh, small potatoes uh, compared to uh, the United States and the economy? So, do we even do we need Europe? Should we should we care? Mm. You know, do we need Europe? Well, really, it's not good to be on the bad side of any nation, for sure. Um, you know, we the, we can see through Bible prophecy that uh, a path is going to be taken, and and you know we're taking that path as a nation, um, and we'll see what will happen with those relationships, and they'll continue to degrade over time. That's what's going to happen. They're going to continue to degrade. Um, to something that won't be good at all. That's ultimately what's going to happen. And you know, there, there's not a lot that we could do to stop that, honestly. Well, now, let's, we know from our program title, uh, we talk about the beast, okay? And now we've been talking about the United States and Europe and China. What does the, the biblical beast have to do with 
geopolitics today. Let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, you know, someone in our audience uh, may have different ideas about what the beast of the Bible is about. Um, you may think of uh, your next door neighbor as a beast, or you may be thinking <laughs> of, a, of a, uh, some sort of character on TV or something as the beast, but actually in the Bible, in the Bible, we read about, about the beast. And uh, we want to tie that directly into our, our conversation today uh, because, as I said, there are a lot of ideas that are patently false about, about the beast and the beast of the Bible, the beast of Revelation, that are, are floating around. So let's, let's, let's walk through this. How does then the, the beast apply to uh, geopolitics? Who, who's the beast connected? Let me just jump in real quickly and give a little bit of background. Um, what's important to understand in terms of understanding end-time Bible prophecy is that there is this uh, nation or group of nations called Israel. It's not the nation of Israel that we would say today, but it's really what Which is primarily the Jews. Right. Uh, what we're talking about actually are the nations that are primarily British descended nations. So it includes Britain and Canada and the United States and Australia, New Zealand and other nations around the world who have that lineage coming out of the 12 tribes of ancient Israel. So the U.S. can't be the beast because it's a descendant of Israel and it will, it is, it represents Israel in end time prophecy or, or one of the Israelite descended nations which will ultimately end up going into captivity and be at odds with the end time beast. Right, and which is, which is a, a belief of of many that the United States, because of its current economic and military position, and and that position over the past whatever you know hundred years, um, it that's they think that's the beast. You know, so if the beast is not way. the United States. Who is the beast in prophecy? Maybe we could go to uh, go to the scriptures and, and let's let's identify who is the beast in in prophecy. <coughs> sure. Uh, so one is uh, let's say in Daniel 7 verse 23. So Daniel 7 verse 23, just to get the understanding that, uh, you know, what is the beast? So many, you could think about anything you want to, but the Bible says, uh, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from the other kingdoms. So a beast is a kingdom, you know, which, you know, we've been talking about that already, but just to establish that that's the case. Uh, but ultimately, it is the, it, the European Roman um, Empire is what it will end up being. Revelation 17 continues with this idea mm -hmm. that you've got seven heads or seven um, machinations of this empire. Uh, the end time beast being the seventh of these and having ten horns or having ten pieces that come together to form this beast nation. So that's Revelation 17. Then you've got Revelation 13 that describes really two elements of this beast power. Uh, the first part talks about a beast rising up out of the sea. This is really the, the political um, entity of the beast. So you, you've got this, um, this person who's in charge of politics. Sometimes the person himself is referred to by the scripture as the beast. But then you've got the second piece of this world ruling empire that comes on the scene at the end of the age. Besides just the politics, you've got this other piece that's really religious based. Mm -hmm. It's backed by a great church. and In fact, um, it's referred to in Revelation 17 as the woman who is over 
many waters or, or who rides the beast. In Revelation 13, it talks about that. Uh, verse 13, he performs signs so that even he makes fire to come down from heaven in the sight of men. Ultimately, verse 15, he's granted power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And then ultimately, verse 16, this is interesting. He, this is this um, religious side of the beast, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hand and on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of, of the beast or the number of his name. Mm -hmm. So let, let's, let's summarize a little bit some characteristics we see from <coughs> Revelation. We're talking about end time prophecy now, but it's, it's built on prophecy of kingdoms through through time, right? right. I mean, th this is a Daniel. long term. This is yeah. Back in Daniel, talks about the same beast from a different perspective. Uh, you know, at that point, this particular beast in Revelation 13 hadn't yet risen up. Mm -hmm. um, and it was prophesied in Daniel to rise up, and it would last um, until it would have its ups and downs, but ultimately would rise up again at the end of the age. And it was and was associated with uh, with uh, the Roman Empire. Then we've always that's we correct. See which, yes, which, which has been the Greco-Macedonian Empire, then the Roman Empire, and that was uh, part of the statue that Daniel saw in uh, Daniel two. And so you've got these risings of this beast power, really this European-centered beast yes. power. The scripture actually talks about Assyria leading it. And when we follow Assyria down over time, we realize that uh, the Assyrians really, uh, the, the Germans, modern Germans today, are descendants of those Assyrians. Right. So it's very likely to be a German-led, European, um, political, religious entity right. that is really in charge of, of world trade for a while. No, it, it's interesting if you look at, let's say, compared to the United States, the United States has been decidedly um, uh, non-religious in terms of politics, right? I mean, from our inception, we've, we have uh, mm -hmm. established there would be a separation between church and state. But that's not the way it is in, in Europe. I mean, Europe, historically, actually, church and state were bound together. Right. I mean, the church reinforced the, 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 the state historically. So um, yeah, Rome, Rome came which, up with this concept of the Holy Roman Empire, right. uh, which allowed the that political leader to also be oh, yeah. the religious leader and the power that comes with that. So they're very much connected church and state historically and, and, and in, in well, Europe, you know we don't see that in the same way right now in Europe yeah. uh, but that will happen it talks about you know uh, in Daniel 11 talks about um, you know uh, Daniel 11 verse 38. Uh, but in their place, they'll, they'll honor a God of fortresses. Uh, he shall exalt himself, uh, verse 36, above every God and shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods. I mean, so there will be a rising up of this religious power and the beast power will be very much you know, an intricate part of that. So we, we've associated here just briefly and, and just scratching the surface with the beast power, with the Roman Empire, with multiple resurrections in Europe, uh, centered in Europe. Um, and be, being a political, religious uh, entity. Uh, actually, maybe we'll just uh, take a, uh, refer to you, the booklet here. Um, if, by the way, if any of our audience 
you're saying, what are you talking about? I'd like to learn a little bit more about this and try, try to understand more of what you're saying. We're just scratching the surface here today, but there, there's a book that we offer, and um, the book is entitled The Beast of Revelation. So look, if you haven't gotten this booklet, I would really recommend that you go ahead and, and order it because it walks through in detail the history of the Holy Roman Empire in Europe and how it's ultimately will, going to emerge as this, as this beast power in its final resurrection in Europe. We've just been scratching the surface here today, but um, uh, look at the booklet or, or read it online and you'll have a whole lot more, more detail. But we, we wanted to tie it in especially with this issue of trade and trade wars and, uh, and, and this type of thing today in our program. So we've just brushed the surface and we want to go to economics. So how do economics, we just touched on it earlier, but wh why is it important to, to look at what's happening in terms of trade and economics today in terms of, of the beast power? Why, why so this beast power will be, you know, it will dominate the economics of the world, at least according to the Bible. Revelation 18 specifically talks about trade. And the trade that, that, will, that it will uh, have power over. Um, it says, verse 11 of uh, chapter 18, And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her, because uh, no one buys uh, the merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, uh, silk, scarlet, goes on and on, wood and, and so forth, uh, cinnamon, different type of um, you know, fragrance and so forth, spices. Uh, war, you know, chariots, horses, and bodies and souls of men. So th there will be a powerful trading empire through this beast. Yeah, I wanted to read just, if I can, just a little teaser from the booklet, but I think it's, it puts it in a very succinct way, a description of what this end-time beast will be like. It says, yet on the other hand, nuclear war and biological and chemical terrorism threaten the very existence of our world. A great charismatic leader in Europe will arise responding to this crisis. He will enter an alliance with the church and the state that will offer peace and security and prosperity to a desperate world. Using duplicity and intrigue, he'll introduce ten European leaders representing the end-time successors to both the eastern and western parts of the Roman Empire to unite temporarily and give power as a leader. Then it says, a period of growing peace and prosperity will ensue. A great worldwide trading combine will seem to offer incredible profits to international cartels. Mm -hmm. And it goes on. But How could you not trade with them? How could you not be a part of that? Well, well does not today and the power of economics and the, and the import of economics as we see in the daily news and, and how much it is an issue. It's an issue in our presidential elections. Mm -hmm. um, it's an I issue in local politics. Economics is important. Sure. And so it does make sense that, um, that a powerful entity, a powerful kingdom of powerful people are, is, is going to rely heavily on economics to maintain that power. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what, he, that's what he's talking about in the, in the, in the booklet. Right? Yeah, um, let me read real briefly from the World Politics Review. This is yesterday's version, Wednesday, uh, June 16. The title of the article is, Will Trump's Trade War Create a United Europe or a Monster? Hmm. You could say Beast and put that in there if you like. It says, Trump's decision to pick an ill-conceived fight over trade with America's closest allies could actually have a salutary effect on European solidarity. It'll certainly boost the desire in Europe to distance itself from America and the dependent aspects of the transatlantic alliance. 
Then it asks the question, <clears throat> but should Europe decide to distance itself from an unreliable partnership with the U.S., and should it manage to collectively steer a more independent course backed with greater willingness and ability to wield the instruments of hard power, what kind of Europe would that be? Hubert Vedrin, a former French foreign minister, has often argued that the EU must choose between whether it wants to be an enormous Switzerland or a global <laughs> power. Mm -hmm. There's another alternative, that of a fortress Europe, open, prosperous and protected within its borders, but suspicious of the world and using its power abroad for predatory purposes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Trump's policies raise the risk that this alternative will prove attractive which would be a loss for everyone. You know, they've got to stand up for their own, they feel like, and, and that's one of the ways to do it. <clears throat> and what we see, part of, part of what we see with these trade wars is a segmentation mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got to look out for himself. Mm -hmm. uh, Europe may need to be doing that. China may need to be doing that, along with some of the Asian nations. We feel like we need to do that, you know, mm -hmm. look yes. out for ourselves, yeah. You think then that in that sense, getting back to our, our president, our national concerns, that we're, we're actually driving um, what we see in the Bible as, as end-time prophecy where nations are coming together as configured as in, the, in the Bible. God will use the leaders of nations to make prophecy go the way he needs it to go. And this is what was predicted, you know, 2,000 plus years ago. That's the way it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. let, let me, so uh, thinking for our audience sake, um, what should we do then? I mean, should we uh, should we get involved in politics to try to uh, stop overseas trade or start overseas trade, or you know, should we uh, uh, should we protest for no tariffs or more tariffs, or you know, what what's the solution if we see in Bible prophecy shows a European power emerging that will be uh, ultimately dominant from what we we read? What, is, what does that mean for our nation and what does that mean for us? What are we to do? I think one thing that the Bible talks about, Christ himself said, is don't be surprised. He said, watch world events because things will come up on you. They'll creep up on you as a thief in the night if you're not watching. But watch so that you're not surprised because he lays it out. He says, you're going to be able to tell like you can tell when the sun rises and the sun sets. You're going to be able to tell what the signs of the end of the age are yeah. if you're watching. When you see these things, know that the end is near. So just what it's the prophecies that, that are coming to pass, know that the end is near. It's time to take action. It's time to really surrender to God is what it is. Mm -hmm. it, that, that's w what needs to happen. You know, through Bible prophecy, um, you know, we've been able to, as a, as a church, we've been able to pre predict that uh, the Britons wouldn't be a part of the EU anymore. Mm -hmm. We were able to predict that, uh, you know, Germany wouldn't be split into two. We've been able to predict that... Uh, and that they would come back together even after they were mm -hmm. split. That's right. And that they would rise up right after World War II. The, you know, Mr. Armstrong was preaching that mm -hmm. because of Bible prophecy. Uh, we were able to predict that the Eastern Euro European nations wouldn't be communist because they would have to be a part of this uh, European group. Um, so it's time to take action. It's time to get you know, into what God says, believe it, and get in line with what God wants us to do. So, what does that, 
What does that mean for our, our listeners? What should they do? What are we talking about? Well, I think about? one thing that we can do, and, and God actually, <laughs> when you read back through what in the scriptures are called the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you see, you see a God, and, and sadly some of the world will label this God of the Old Testament as this mean, vindictive God, which is false. This is mm -hmm. the one who became Jesus Christ. But you see a God there... I would argue begging yeah. the Israelite descended nations, please turn around, please stop sinning, please come back to me. So one thing that we can do, individually at least, is repent. We, we, we can change, we can give up our hedonistic ways and really try and live the way that God wants us to live, to honor Him, to obey Him. And He says, you know what, if you do this, and coming back to the mark, if you don't accept this mark at the end time, I'm going to protect you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep you safe. What about as a, as a nation? I mean, would, is there something we could do that would, would change uh, our, our fate? We've, we've talked about here how what we say is that as a nation, we're going to, we're going to continue to decline and Europe is going to continue to actually be bound closer together and, and rise as a great economic power, fulfilling that beast prophecy. So, as a, as a nation, um, does it matter what we do? I mean, can we, can we change that? There are a couple of verses that come to mind uh, in regard to what we can do as a nation. That, that God, if, if we as a nation were to change, God would turn things around. You know, the reality is, is will we change as a nation? That's, mm -hmm. the, that's the problem. But Ezekiel 18, talking about the soul that sins shall die, it says in verse uh, um, 30, Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Like you said, he's begging, please do the right thing. Um, and then Revelation 18, specific command about what to do about this, this uh, coming beast power. He says, verse 4, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Mm -hmm. Don't be a part of it. I think to me a really wonderful example of how lenient God can be and wants to be is the example in the book of Jonah. And here you actually had the ancient Assyrians, Ninevites, who God had prophesied he was going to take down. But he told Jonah, go to these people, tell them to change. And what happened? Jonah reluctantly went to them. He didn't want to tell them to change because he knew how merciful God was. But he prophesied to them and they did change. They did repent. And God, it says, relented mm -hmm. from his, the devastation that he had planned, at least for a time. You know, and how do you change? Well, that is through God's help and it's obedience to his Ten Commandments is what it is. That's what it is. Specific specifically changing from, from our ways to obey the Ten Commandments. That's what that's about. Of course, this is a big part of what, we, what we're all about. We believe in the Bible, and we believe that the Bible teaches a, a way to live peaceably with our neighbors and at peace with God by obeying His, his commands, His guidance, His instructions. It's not something that is impossible to do, and it's no. not something that's ancient right. and not current. It's for real, it's meaningful, and I hope that uh, today with our program that uh, in our audience here that you've, uh, you've seen some connections between what we read in the headlines today 
and with what the Bible has to say about uh, end time events, current events. We, we say we're approaching the end time at, right now, and uh, some of the characteristics of that end time are actually predicted in, in the Bible. So, uh, thanks for listening into our conversation today. We appreciate you being with us. And if you would like to learn more, more detail, you have questions about what we've talked about in the program today, please do take a moment to look through some of our literature, especially the literature that talks about, uh, as we refer to the beast of Revelation, it talks in more detail about uh, what the Bible has to say about that beast. And uh, of course, come back next week where we'd love to see you again on our program. This is then for, for today. Uh, signing off. Thank you, gentlemen, for being guests with me here today. Thank you. You're welcome. And we're going to sign off. I will mention this, that we are going to continue the, continue the conversation for a few minutes after we do sign off. So if you'd like to uh, hear some further conversation, uh, we'll record it and post it up in a couple of days for you if you're interested. Thanks very much for being with us on TW Now. Have a good afternoon, and we'll see you next week.